we are super excited about that. There's going to be like literally eight cars driving up. So, all right, grab your Bibles. We're going to get ready. We're going to dive into this Bible study. Stample, can we start? Is that okay with you? I'm, I'm looking right at you. <laughs> okay. Her face, she was like, I've never been in trouble before. <laughs> All right, let's bring it in. Bring it in. Grab your Bibles. We got a small crowd tonight because of the snow, so it's going to be very intimate. This, will be, this is cool. This will be fun. Grab your Bibles. We're studying the book of Josh. Oh, oh, I for, almost forgot to say. So this is, this is really cool. Um, the counselors, we have been praying about this since the summer. Um, we've been really, really wanting to start a Bible study at Buckeye Career Center. Um, we've done, I've done Bible studies at, at Philly and Dover, and, and, and we haven't been able to, like, do anything at Buckeye. Um, so me and Josh, we went and got fingerprinted, and we got FBI background checks, and we went and talked to the principal, and we prayed, and they put us before the board, and we officially got approved. Um, so, so next Friday, not this Friday, like two days from now, next Friday at 7.25, so like 7.25 to 7.45, every Friday we're going to have a Bible study at Buckeye. Um, it'll be in Mrs. Thompson's room, Bobby Thompson, and she teaches early childhood. Um, where's my Buckeye kids at? You know, early childhood? There you go. So near the Cosmo Lab. Um, that's going to be next Friday. So I'll put it on Facebook and stuff, but invite your friends. It's going to be, it's going to be an evangelistic Bible study. So if you have kids, friends that aren't saved, that don't know God, maybe you have friends that are saved and go to church, bring them too. But the whole point of the Bible study is we want to see kids get saved, right? So um, we're super excited about that. If you don't go to Buckeye, man, be praying for that. Um, that's really exciting. And uh, that I know of, I, I, don't, I don't know that there's ever been a Bible study at Buckeye. And, and I went to Buckeye when it was like 2008. So <laughs> that was a long time ago. But we're really excited for that. So be praying. We've been praying for a long time. And, uh, and I think God's going to do really cool things at Buckeye um, because he's awesome. And he wants to see people saved, and so do we. Um, let's, let's go ahead and pray. And then we're going to dive into our Bible study. Got to come to you tonight, and um, the weather is crazy outside, and it's, you know, the, the unpredictability of weather in Ohio is, um, it's crazy sometimes because we never know what we're going to get. Y- you never know whether to believe the weatherman or if we're going to get 12 inches of snow. And so that makes it a little bit crazy outside. But the cool thing is that regardless of what the weather is, regardless of circumstances in our life, regardless of school and parents and work and all those things, um, you are exactly the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your word always stands as truth. And it doesn't matter if we're having a hard time in life or if we're overwhelmed or, uh, or if we're depressed or wherever we're at, God, your, your word contains truth. And it says in Philippians 4 that you can give us peace. And God, I just pray that tonight, regardless of where we're at, that we would just wipe off 30 minutes of our night, of our day, of our week, and just listen to what your word has to teach us, God. And, and may, may we gain peace and clarity from the scriptures. I love you, God. I pray that you teach us tonight. Open our hearts, open our ears to hear what you have for us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're walking through the book of Joshua. And last week we were in Joshua 2. And we saw the story of Rahab, right? We saw Rahab's faith. And what the deal was with that is Joshua sent two spies across Jordan to check out Jericho, right, to to spy out the land and see what they were going to come up against. And when these two spies went into Jericho, they came to Rahab's house because it was on the wall. It was one of the first houses they came to. And Rahab was a harlot, right? She didn't have her life all together. Rahab was a professional prostitute. 
Um, but it doesn't matter who Rahab was. It doesn't matter what she had did. She responded to God's messengers the right way, remember? She, she responded in faith. She heard about God and what God was doing, and she believed that he was the true God, and she asked those men to spare her from judgment. And so what we learn from Rahab is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've got going on, and it doesn't matter any of that stuff. If you'll simply hear from God, believe that he is God, and ask him to save you, and confess, and repent with your mouth, and believe in your heart, he'll do just that. And we'll see once we get to Joshua chapter 6, when they actually go into attack Jericho, that God keeps his word, and so does Israel, and, and Rahab and her family are spared. And that was really cool. Um, this week, we're actually going to cross Jordan. They're, Israel is gearing up. They're going to cross the Jordan River. They're going to go into, begin to enter into the promised land. And, and, and this is something that if you go back into the book of Exodus, that Israel has been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. This is a long time coming. This is something God wanted them to do a long time ago, but it took a lot of preparation for them to get to this point. And so we're getting finally to them crossing the Jordan River. Don't forget our pictures, right? We set up some pictures several weeks ago. The nation of Israel as a whole is a picture of us, the individual New Testament believer, um, the promised land, Canaan, that they're crossing into is a picture of spiritual maturity for us, okay? That that is where God ultimately wants us to be, spiritually mature, able to feed ourselves with his word and, and grow and be able to reproduce sons and daughters of God by evangelizing and discipleship. That's where he wants us to be, okay? And the Jordan River, for us, is going to represent the boundary between where we are now and where God wants us to be. Because that's exactly where Israel is at. They're where, they're where they're at. And where God wants them to be is across this boundary. It's across this physical barrier. And what they're going to have to do is decide to trust God to bring them across. To trust God to bring them across the river and into the promised land. And that's what we're going to see for us tonight. If, if you are here tonight and you're saved, if you have a relationship with Christ, God wants you to grow. And at some point, maybe you're not there yet, but at some point you're going to get to a point of no return where you're going to have to decide, am I just going to be a Sunday Christian where I'm like the rest of America, I believe in God, but that's it. Or am I actually going to cross the Jordan and seek to be spiritually mature and to actually follow the Lord and to make disciples and to live for him and not just be someone who says, I'm a Christian and that's it. You're going to have to come to that point. Maybe some of you are there now. Well, this night is for you. We're going to see Israel cross over to the Jordan. So let's see how we do that. Let's start in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1. Read a few verses. Verse 1 says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. All right, so we need to take a second to understand what the Ark of the Covenant thing is, okay? If you were in our 9 a.m. class last quarter, back in the fall, you have a, an idea, maybe you've forgotten, it'll be a good review for you. If you weren't in that 9 a.m., you need to know this. The Ark of the Covenant, that's going to be your first blank on your paper, is it really important 
not just to the nation of Israel, but especially to our story here and in Joshua 3. Because the ark, if you were go to go down through this chapter and count, it's mentioned ten times just in Joshua chapter 3. It has big significance in our story tonight. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 16, we're not going to read it right now. But it tells us what the ark was. It was, a, it was a wooden box that God instructed Israel to, to build. And they covered it with gold, and it had rings on the side of it. And they were able to put uh, rods or, or staves of gold through the rings, and then men could stand on either side kind of like a, like a coffin, and they could bear it on their shoulders, and they could walk with it. Okay, So the ark of the covenant literally, I mean, I guess if you've seen Indiana Jones, it's kind, kind of that. It's, it's a big gold box. I don't know if it melts your face if you open it, um, but it is. It's a big gold box, and, and Israel would carry uh, it around on golden sticks, and inside that box, it had the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments on it, okay? That's what the Ark of the Covenant was. On top of the Ark, hopefully if you were in this 9 a.m. class, you're, you're remembering some of this stuff, was what was called the mercy seat. It was literally a seat that was made out of gold, and that is where God would meet with man in the Old Testament because God couldn't reside with man before Christ died for our sins. Today, if, you, if you're a saved believer, you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. In the Old Testament, God could only come down to man once a year in the tabernacle. Is, you guys remember in this? And he would come once a year, and the high priest would have to go through all these rituals and cleansings and sanctifications and purifications, all this stuff just to be able to go in and take the blood of the sacrifice and place it on the mercy seat, okay? And that mercy seat was between two golden cherubims, or kind of like angels, and these golden cherubims, the wings uh, were really long, and they met in the middle over the mercy seat. That's what this thing looked like, okay? And, and this is where the priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies and put the blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of Israel for that year. Um, that's the significance of Christ. He did that once for all, the book of Hebrews says. Um, we don't have to keep those sacrifices anymore, praise the Lord, because Jesus did that. That's kind of what the Ark of the Covenant is. So, so what's the significance of it? What, what's so significant about it? The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God in Israel. That's what's so important. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God in Israel. And I want to show you that in 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Israel's going to go up against uh, one of their enemies, one of their, their big enemies in the Old Testament. We see them fight them all the time, the Philistines. They're going to go up against the Philistines. We're going to see the Ark of the Covenant come into the story. 1 Samuel 4, look at verse 4. It says, So the people went to Shiloh, that they may bring from thence the Ark of the Covenant, there it is, of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims, like I, like I explained to you, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the Ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. Now look at their reaction. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. The, the Ark of the Covenant 
was not, it didn't just represent, maybe that was a bad way of phrasing it, it didn't just represent God's presence for Israel, it literally was the presence of God. And the Philistines knew it. When they heard the Ark of the Covenant was there, they knew, they said, God is come into the camp. And in the Old Testament, the Ark was the presence of God. See, and it's important to understand that because it's going to be mentioned 10 times in Joshua 3. So what we can assume is that it's going to play a major role in Israel crossing the Jordan River. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. It's going to play a major role in them crossing the river. It's not something they can do on their own. That's important. Okay? All right, let's go back to Joshua 3 and look at verse 5. Verse 5. Because we're going to see our first step in crossing the Jordan. Tonight, I, I want to give you a, a three-step how to cross the Jordan River. It's how Israel crossed the Jordan, and it's how you can too, if that's what you would like to do. And the first step to crossing the Jordan, we get in verse 5. It says, Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourselves. Number one is sanctify yourself. Pretty easy. My job's really easy. I basically just take the Bible and then make notes out of it. It's, I mean, it's not that hard. If you just preach God's word, it, it, it teaches you, man. It's an amazing thing. Sanctify yourselves. I love this verse. I, I couldn't, man, studying this chapter the last two days, I just couldn't, like, move past this verse. I wish I could just preach all night on this verse alone. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The word sanctify just means to cleanse or to prepare. <clears throat> sorry, or to prepare, or to set apart, or to separate. To, to cleanse, or to prepare, or to set apart. So really what I'm saying is you gotta prepare yourself. You, you gotta get yourself ready. You gotta cleanse yourself. When you got saved, Christ set you apart. He uses that word sanctified in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, know ye not, Paul says to the Corinthians, that the unrighteousness, or that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, be not deceived, Neither fornicators, or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, it's a great list of things, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, he's talking to the church, he said, you guys, some of you, you were these people in times past, right? But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, listen, when you got saved, believer, Christian, God set you apart. He sanctified you. He set you apart from those things that you used to be a part of, okay? So I don't want you to be confused what I'm not saying here by step one being sanctify yourself. I'm not saying that it is your job to cleanse yourself of all sin. That, that was Jesus' job. If you're saved and you have a relationship with Christ, when Christ died on Calvary and you accepted that payment, his gift, what happened was he set you apart when he paid the penalty of your sin on the cross. That's what Christ did. The penalty of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. Eternal separation from God. And when Jesus died on the cross and you accepted his payment, he paid for the penalty of sin. But the problem is we still live pragmatically every day under the influence and the power of sin. Ultimately, the penalty of sin has been paid for. If, if you are a Christian, you don't have to pay for your sins separated from God in a place called hell. You don't have to. But on a daily basis, man, we screw up. And when we screw up, there's consequences. Small consequences, there's big consequences. There's still this power 
of sin. And that's what we need to prepare ourselves from. We, we need to sanctify ourselves. We need to set ourselves apart. So don't be confused. I'm not saying that you have to cleanse yourself from the power or the penalty of sin, rather. Jesus did that. And if you're not saved today, he'll do that for you if you ask him. So that's not what we're saying. But he did separate you from the penalty of sin, and he separated you to something else, too. He separated you. Romans 1, Paul says that he separated him to the gospel, and he also separated us to righteousness. Look at Ephesians 2.10. It says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the verses that come before this, say that it's by grace through faith that you're saved, right? And not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not of works that you're saved, but once you are saved, what does it say in verse 10? That you were created in Christ unto good works. He wants you to walk in them. That's part, see you're saved from the power of, or the penalty of sin eternally by what Christ did for you, not what you can do of your own works, but on a daily basis. It's up to you, man. It's up to you, girl, if you are going to refrain and be set apart from participating in sin. That's the difference. That's the difference. That's, that's the flesh, right? That's the temptation and the lust of the world. Well, so what does this mean? Well, literally, historically, if you're in our 9 a.m. class, you know the Bible has three applications, right? And historically, what Joshua was telling Israel was literally to cleanse themselves, right? Jesus hadn't died for their sins back then. And he was literally saying, sanctify yourself, cleanse yourself, just like the priests would cleanse themselves for, for different sacrifices. So he's saying, cleanse yourself, get ready, prepare for God to work. That's what he's telling them to do. For tomorrow, I love this phrase, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He said, prepare yourself for God to work. That's what he wants them to do. Prepare so that God can do wonders among you. And if you're going to make this decision to grow into your faith and to become spiritually mature and to make disciples and to cross the Jordan into the promised land, guys, you need to prepare yourself for God to work. If you live like the world, if you're saved, that's great. But if you continue to live like the world and don't change anything about what you do and you don't stand out and you don't seek to grow in your, in your walk with God and your faith, th then what can he actually do with you? You see what I'm saying? Yes, you're saved and you'll go to heaven when you die. But if you want to actually do something big for the Lord and cross the Jordan and possess the promised land, that's going to take some preparation. That's going to take some sanctification. Okay? Uh, here's what I want you to see. Salvation, by the way, if you're not saved, salvation's really easy. Jesus paid it all on the cross. He, he did everything for you. He paid for the penalty of your sin and my sin and death, he paid for all of it by spilling his blood. And the Bible says all you have to do is believe on him and confess with your mouth and repent. And believe that he's the Lord of your life and ask him to come into your heart and he'll do that. It's, salvation's easy. It takes no work. It just takes a simple decision and confession. It's easy. Spiritual maturity, it's not as easy. Growth isn't easy. It takes work. It takes preparation. It takes obedience. It takes faith. It takes stepping out in obedience and faith and trusting God at every turn and denying self and, and separating, sanctifying yourself from the flesh unto good works. Spiritual maturity takes work. It's not works that save you. Don't leave here thinking that I'm saying works save you. 
after you're saved, it takes work to grow. That's why a lot of people, a lot of Christians, are going to go to heaven someday, never getting close to the Jordan River, never getting close to going to the promised land, because it takes some work. It takes preparation. So how do we prepare ourselves? How do we prepare for this? Well, I love 2 Timothy chapter 2. I wish we had time to break down this whole passage. But just look at verse 20 and 21. It says, In a great house there are not only vessels, a vessel is like a container, so whether you're thinking a, a jar, a pot, a bowl, anything like that. There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, or like clay. Some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified, there it is, prepared, set apart, cleansed, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You got to think about this in those times. So if you would think about a king's house back then, there would be many vessels, many bowls and pots and jars made out, some of gold and silver, they were vessels of honor, some of clay and wood, vessels of dishonor. What goes in a vessel of honor? I don't know, maybe the, the wine that the king would drink out of his golden chalice? What's a vessel of dishonor? Well, I don't know. They didn't have toilets back then. It had to go in something, right? So, so that's what he's saying. He's like, there's vessels of honor that do really good things. There's vessels that do things that need to be done. <laughs> it's not honorable, but it needs... See, all the vessels are in the house. They're all being used. But what vessel do you want to be? Do you want to be the one that's filled with crap? Or do you want to be the one that's meet for the master's use and use for every good work. He says if you want that, then you got to purge yourself. Get that junk out of your life, man. Get the garbage out of your life if you want to be a vessel of honor. Prepare yourself. Sanctify yourself for the master's use. What are those things in your life? Think about this. You don't have to raise your hand or say it or write it down. Maybe you want to write it down. It'll help you. What are those things in your life that you need to chuck, that you need to get rid of, to prepare yourself to be used by God. I'm sure that each of us can think of one thing that we're, man, we just struggle with when nobody's looking that keeps us from truly being used by God on a 100% all-in level. What is that? The Bible says, man, purge yourself of that so that he can use you, so he can be all-in. Well, how do I do that? Okay, I, I've identified, I know these things, I need to chuck these things, and I want to be a vessel of honor, and I, I want to be used by God, and I want to cross the Jordan. How do I do that? How do I sanctify myself? Well, God's word is awesome because he tells you in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them, separate, cleanse, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You know, the only thing that can clean you up, the only thing that can set you apart and prepare you is God's word. It's truth. God defines truth here as his word, and he says that word can sanctify you. It can clean you up. Did you know, by the way, I've, I've been talking to saved kids for a while, but you know, if you're not saved, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, did you know that you don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus? He'll do it for you. His word will clean you up. You don't have to get your act together to come to Jesus. He wants you just as you are. But saved kid, you can come just as you are, but you can't stay just as you is. God wants you to grow. He wants you to, to get over that junk, that garbage that, that held you down when you were in sin. That's the idea. Come just as you are. Jesus will, he'll, he'll take you in, he'll make you a part of his family, but after you're in, okay, let's get to work now. Let's become a vessel of honor. Let's cross the Jordan. Let's do this thing. God's got a job for us. He's got a mission, right? We get sidetracked sometimes. We forget about the mission. 
His word will sanctify us. It'll cleanse us, set us apart. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. It's a camp memory verse. It's a burn memory verse because, if man, if you graduate high school and you don't have this verse memorized, then I didn't do my job right. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Cleanse, sanctify. Are you seeing these words over and over again? How do I get right? How do I cleanse? How do I sanctify myself? How do I prepare myself? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. David says, with my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. That's how I'm cleansed. That's how I'm sanctified. By getting in his word every day and renewing my mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2, in his mind, so that eventually, day by day, year by year, I look a little bit more like him every day. And you're conformed to his image, and you're sanctified. You're set apart. You're prepared to do this thing. If you want to grow and you want to enter the promised land, man, prepare your heart by getting into God's word. Let it reveal to you the stuff that needs to be purged. He'll do that. Ask God to crank up the heat. You know, the Bible talks about a refiner's fire. Like when you're refining gold or silver, what the goldsmith will do is he'll, or the silversmith, he'll, he'll crank up the heat. The impurities boil to the top and then he scrapes them off. And they do that over and over and over again until they have pure gold or silver. You know, that's what God wants to do with you. But you know what? When he turns up the heat and the impurities boil to the top, it's painful. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good having that stuff skimmed off. But if you want to look more like him, ask him to do that. David says in the Psalms, God, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the paths of righteousness. David says, God, turn up the heat, boil that stuff to the top, get it out of here. I want to look more like you. Ask him to do that, and he will. Let's move on. Number two. The other points aren't as long as that one, but that one's really important because it's the first step. It's the first step if you want to do this thing and you want to do it right. You got to prepare. You got to sanctify yourself. Number two, hear God's word. Hear God's word. I thought we just talked about God's word. Yeah, well, that's a little different. You're preparing yourself, and now we're going to hear what God has to say. We've got to prepare regardless, and then we need to listen. Hear God's word. Uh, skip down to verse 9. Verse 9 of Joshua 3. Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. Okay? So hear what God has to say to you. This is what God had to say to Israel, and he's got something for you too. Hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth before you into Jordan. All right. Once we've prepared ourselves, now we've got to listen to what God has to say. And I want you to notice, what, you, what here's what Joshua, in essence, told Israel. This is hereby, hereby, this is how you'll know that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out all your enemies. That, that list of people, it's just all their enemies. This is how you'll know that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you all your enemies. This is how you know. Verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Christian, this is how you can know that God is with you and that he will defeat all the big scary enemies that you're afraid of. His presence goes before you. His presence goes before you. 
See, here's the deal, and we're going to see this at the end of this chapter. The priests were ordered to take the ark, the presence of God, and go before Israel. And what they're going to do is they're going to walk with it. And it says, the moment that their feet touched the brink of the water of Jordan, the water would recede. And they're going to walk out into the middle of Jordan, and the water will be dry. It'll be dry. And they're going to walk across on dry ground. They're going to stay in the middle. All the people are going to cross over. And then once all the people are across, then the priests can go with the ark. And once the ark gets out of the river, then the water will go back. Does that remind you of a different story with Israel crossing a body of, a, a body of water? So it's like this has happened before. But this is what's going to happen. This is what God told them to do. And here's what I want you to see, that although this journey is going to be hard in life and on this path of growth, and if you want to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land of spiritual maturity, and even though the enemies are scary and the Jordan is deep, God will go before you. You're not alone. You don't have to do this thing on your own. God never asked you to. The ark was the key for Israel in crossing the Jordan, and the presence of God is the key for you as well. You can't do it on your own, and you don't have to because God, he's gonna be with you. He is with you. If you are saved today and you have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that he comes and dwells inside of you. His Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of your heart, and he, his presence will go with you. Matthew 28, I, this is just probably my favorite place that says this, because he tells his disciples the Great Commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations. He gives them a big mission Go teach all the nations. Wow, big job. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things uh, whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, notice, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus says, listen, I've got a big job for you, but don't worry. I'm not asking you to do it by yourself. I'm going with you. And he tells Israel, listen, I've got a big task for you. And you've got a big promised land to possess but the presence of God is going before you in the Jordan. You don't have to worry about it. Hear the words of the Lord. He's going with you. He's going before you. And he's going to lead the way. That's what God is telling you tonight. His presence is with you. If you're not saved, man, if you'll ask Jesus to save you, his presence will be with you. And he'll go with you wherever you go. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Hear the words of God. Do you hear him? Because the last step, number three, is follow him across. It's that simple. It's that simple. Prepare yourself, sanctify yourself, hear what he has to tell you, and then follow him. Follow him across. Our tagline for this Joshua series is going where God leads. That's the key to the whole book of Joshua and growing in your faith. And Joshua 3. Once you have prepared yourself and you've heard from God's word, you have to decide if you have the faith to follow him across the river. Let's read the next couple of verses. Uh, Go down to verse 13 and we'll finish out the chapter here. It says in verse 13, It shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon an heap. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they, as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water for Jordan overfloweth all his banks at the time of the harvest. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam 
that is beside Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. So God's presence, the Ark, goes before Israel and the waters of the Jordan stop. The priests stand in the middle of the river with the Ark until every last Israelite crosses. And here's what I want you to see, because if you were in our 9 a.m. last quarter, you know this. And if you know anything about the Bible, when God brought Israel out of Egypt... He brought them through the Red Sea, right, in a similar fashion. God brings you into the promised land the same way he brought you out of bondage, by faith, by faith. If you're wondering, maybe it's been a couple of years since you got saved, or maybe, maybe you just got saved a couple months ago. Maybe it's still pretty fresh, and you're wondering to know, well, how do I make the decision? What do I do? How do I get to the promised land? How do I become spiritually mature? It's the same way that God brought you out of bondage to sin. It's by faith. When Israel comes out of bondage of Egypt, they, they did it by trusting God and the blood of the Passover lamb. And when they get to the Red Sea, God parts the waters to bring them across, right? And here, again, Israel is at a body of water, separating them from where they are and where God wants them to be. And what do they have to do? His instructions? Follow me. That's his instructions. Just follow me. Trust me. Do what I say. And I'll get you to where I want you to be. Here's an interesting difference. This is more for you guys who, who really like to study your Bibles. And this is something I actually just noticed yesterday when I was studying this passage. I think it's really cool. You know, when God parts the Red Sea, it's a, it's a sea. It's an ocean. It's a body of still water. And he parts it. So there's a wall of water on both sides. And 1 Corinthians 10 says that it was a picture of baptism. Right? A picture which means it wasn't baptism, it was a picture of baptism, because they come out of Egypt, a picture of the world, a picture of salvation, and then the first thing they come to is a body of water that they have to go through. And they, there's water on both sides, and it even says in 1 Corinthians 10, there was a cloud above them, kind of like if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, there's a giant misty cloud above it because there's a wall of water there. So there was literally a mist above and walls of water, so they were literally immersed, although they weren't wet, in water. It was a picture of baptism. It's really cool because that's what God asks you to do. The first step of obedience and faith after you get saved is to get wet, right? But notice this. Even though this is very similar scenario and a very similar faith God's asking them to come into the promised land, it's not the same, right? A river is not an ocean. It's not a sea. A river is a flowing body of water. God doesn't have to part it and it, he says that. The only reason I even noticed this was because he makes it clear in his wording. Look at verse 16 again. The waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city. Right? It, what he did was he cut off, literally his words, one side so that the water stopped flowing. Right? So if you, I mean, if you think about it, when you put a dam in the middle of a river, the water stops flowing. Right? It makes the water go away on this side because it flows away. God didn't part it. He just cut it off on this side. Who cares? Well, I think that's neat. But I also think it's interesting that God likes his pictures, and it wouldn't make sense for them to get baptized twice. God doesn't ask you to do that. He, he, that faith, that initial step of faith of obedience, that was a one-time thing. Because what does baptism picture? It's a picture of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. 
and that when you got saved, you were buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life, right? Like when we dunk you in the tank. It's a picture. It's not how you get saved. It's just a picture. Well, why would that make sense to do it again? Did Christ die twice? Did you get saved twice? No. But it is another step in faith. It's interesting. I, 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 if you leave here and forget about that, it's okay. I just think it's interesting that God's pictures are consistent. He doesn't have them getting baptized, quote-unquote, twice, but he does have them trusting him again in a very similar faith. God brings you into the promised land in the same way he brought you out of bondage, by faith. I'm not referring to the actual water, but it is a very similar scenario. God will give you things to come through and to learn and to grow in your faith that you'll need later on in life. I'm telling you guys, I, I go through things and if I couldn't look back on past victories where God brought me through it, I don't know what I'd do. God teaches you these lessons for a reason. Okay, let's go back to that, get, get away from that tangent for a second. So Israel, again, has to have faith to rely on God to bring them across. So let me ask you, because this is where we're going to end it tonight. Will you trust God and follow him across? If, if you're saved, if you've been a Christian for a while now, okay, and you've just been doing circles in the wilderness because you've just been kind of doing what you want to do, just being kind of selfish, and just kind of living like the world, can I ask you, will you just stop and finally have the faith to follow him across into the promised land, into spiritual maturity, and begin? Maybe you just need to do burn. Maybe you need to be discipled, and you need to start taking your faith seriously. I don't know. Maybe you have been burned and discipled, but you've just kind of been sitting here like, I don't know what to do next. Man, start by preparing, getting into the word, hear what God has to tell you, and then follow him and do what he says. It's that easy. It's that easy. Will you trust him? Will you follow him across? Maybe you're not at the Jordan yet. Maybe you're a new Christian or a baby Christian or, or you haven't been saved very long. Maybe you have been saved for a long time. You've just never grown in your faith. Maybe you haven't even been baptized yet because that's what Jesus tells you to do is the first step of obedience after salvation. Maybe you haven't done any of that yet. Maybe you've got a ways to go in your journey to get to the Jordan. Can I ask you to just, will you just trust God to go where he leads? Will you just trust him that wherever he takes you, wherever he asks you to go, just trust him and go where he leads and follow him? Because that's, that's what it takes, man. Just one step. One step in front of another. And when you're a baby, 18 years later, you're an adult, it's kind of the same thing. It, when you're a baby Christian, you're not going to be an adult overnight, but it takes one step at a time, learning to walk, and that's what burn will help you do, by the way. It'll help you grow in your faith. But let me, let me say one other thing. Maybe you aren't even saved yet. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and you've just been kicking around for a while. Can I just ask you, will you just trust God to save you? Will you trust the Lord to do what he said he'll do? Because he came to this earth, why on earth would God send his only begotten son to be butchered on a cross if there was any other way? Think about that. Why would he do that? If there was any other way to be saved or to go to heaven, he did that for you because he loves you. Will you just trust him and cry out to him tonight and ask him to forgive you and to save you? Because he can't lead you until he's with you. And until you're saved, he's not with you. I just want to share two verses with you. 1 John 5 says that this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and eternal life is in his Son, that's Jesus. He that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you don't have Jesus living in you, you don't have eternal life. But if you'll simply ask him, he'll give it to you. That's what the Bible says. If you'll decide tonight to follow him, 
he'll let you and he'll ask you and, and, and he'll, uh, you'll ask him and he'll accept you and he'll come into your life. Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So wherever you're at, whether you need to just finally cross over the Jordan or whether you just need to trust God in the next step of your life to get to the Jordan someday or whether you need to trust God to save you, can I just ask you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him and just trust him, man. If you want to cross the Jordan, whether you're on the banks or whether that's just the goal in the future, you got to start by preparing yourself, hearing from him and following him. And you can start by doing that tonight. Let's pray. God, I come to you and I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word. And God, all the amazing pictures that you teach us through, uh, through the Old Testament. It's so cool to see that all of those stories didn't just happen f- because they're history. They happened for our learning, 1 Corinthians 10 says, for our examples. You have a lot to teach us, God. And I just pray that we would take these things and we wouldn't just leave here tonight the same way we came in, but, but that you would change us, God. We would allow your truth to sanctify us, like John 17 says, and to cleanse us and to, to purify us, make us more like you. If there's anyone in here, Lord, who's saved and they've just been wandering in the wilderness of selfishness and, and defeat for too many years, God, I pray that they would just come to the Jordan, prepare themselves. They've heard from you already and that they would just follow you. They would follow your presence into the Jordan. I know it's scary and I know they, that there's, there's giants on the other side, there's, there's enemies, but you're going before them. And that is how we know that you're with us and that you'll defeat those enemies. And if there's anyone in here, God, who doesn't know you as their Savior, Father, I just pray that they would trust you and cry out to you tonight and ask you to save them. And you'll move into their heart. And they'll know right now without a shadow of a doubt that they'll have a home with you forever in heaven someday. And not only that, but they can have joy in this life today because of that salvation. God, I love you. I thank you so much for the gift of your son on the cross. I pray that you would be glorified and praised by this last song tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.